Father in heaven, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for being the reason we are here today. As we made a declaration just a few minutes ago that we believe, Lord, we meant it. We believe. And we have come to worship you because of that belief. So it is our prayer that everything that we offer before you today, from the singing to the offering to communion and the preaching and our attention to all of these things, we pray that all of it will be pleasing to you as an act of worship. And Lord, let us carry that attitude with us from this place into every place we go. We love your church. We're grateful for her. Thank you for the gift of gathering together. In Jesus' name, amen. I know you have seen something like this at some point in your life. I took it right off of the U.S. Forest Service website. That's where this came from. My search was pretty simple. I just typed in what to do if you get lost. And this information quickly popped up. Now, I like the way they start on their website. They say the best tool needed for survival is your skill of advanced planning. You must expect the unexpected and plan accordingly. Even if you're going out for just a few hours, pack enough essentials that you can stay hydrated, fueled, and prepared for any type of weather. Then they go on to talk about an essential packing list on the website. Looks just like this. Take a look. If you get lost hiking in the woods, your essentials should include at least more than enough food and water for the activity that you plan. A compass that you know how to use. You may want a GPS device, but those sometimes do not receive a signal or the battery fails. Cell phones also likely will not work because of a lack of signal. Appropriate maps. Study the terrain and your planned route. Know where you're going and how you will return. Sturdy hiking boots, clothes that you can layer depending on the weather conditions, and additional socks in case the ones you're wearing get wet. A blanket, flashlight, matches kept in a water-resistant container, and other items that will help you survive overnight if necessary. It's also important that once you have planned your outing, tell someone. Give them the exact details of where you're going the trail you plan to follow, when you will return, the vehicle you're driving, and where you plan to park, and how many people will go with you. Do not go alone, they say. Then on the website, it continues on to teach some really interesting things that if you pay attention to them, they can help you out of almost any situation. This is such a practical website. The information on it is not only pointed, but practical as well. I like these four things that they remind us of. Stop, think, observe, plan. Four steps. Stop, think, observe, plan. Hold on to those. You're going to need them. On the, the actual page, they break each of those down. Under stop, they write, as soon as you realize you may be lost, stop. Stay calm. Stay put. Panic is your greatest enemy. Under think, they say, go over in your mind how you got to where you are. What landmarks should you be able to see? Do not move at all until you have a specific reason to take a step. Observe. Get out your compass and determine the directions based on where you're standing. Do not walk aimlessly. If you're on a trail, stay on it. 
As a very last resort, follow a drainage or stream downhill. This is often a difficult path, but could lead to a trail or road. Again, this could be very dangerous. And under plan, they write this. Based on your thinking and observations, come up with some possible plans. Think them through, then act on one of them. If you're not very, very confident in the route, then it's always better to stay put. If it's nightfall, you are injured, or you are near exhaustion, stay in place. Then they take it up a whole nother level by putting a section titled Self-Rescue Tips. I found that kind of interesting. And under that, these words are found. If after careful planning and consideration, you decide that you should try to rescue yourself, here are some tips to remember. Stop and rest when you start to feel tired. Don't wait until you're exhausted. Your body can't hike hard and digest food at the same time. Rest in the shade for at least 30 minutes when you stop to eat. If you're still tired after 30 minutes, continue to rest. Make sure to drink enough water to avoid dehydration. Stop and fix small problems while they are still small. Avoid hiking between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. On hot days, adjust your hiking pace to one you can comfortably maintain and rest when you feel the need. Self-rescue tips. Now, when you put all of that together, part of the, the thing that jumped off the page for me were those four steps. Do you remember them? Stop, observe, think, and plan. Stop, say it with me, observe, think, and plan. Now, as I read those, I thought each one of them has its own strength, its own validity, and each one of them drives home a point that we need to pay attention to. But as a believer, I believe they left something off of that list. It should read, stop, think, or stop, observe, think, plan, and pray, and pray. And maybe we ought to reverse some of that before you even get into the observation stage or you start thinking or planning. Pray, pray. That fifth one needs to be in there. In situations like this, that fifth one needs to be in there. If you're lost, pray and pray with all you got. In fact, it may even be that if you're lost, you need to cry out to God. Don't just pray. You cry out to God that he will hear you and he will find you. And when he finds you, self-rescue will be of no importance at all because you will be rescued by God. And to be rescued by God is to be rescued. Amen? That's the way it should work. Now, I don't know if you've ever been lost. Let me just ask that to you in the form of a question. Have you? Have you ever been lost? And you might be quick to say, no, I never have, as you're thinking in terms of what we were just talking about. I've never been lost in the woods. I've never been lost in the wilderness. I've never even been lost on the water or at sea. That's never happened. I've never been lost. But it is entirely possible to be lost in other ways. It really is. You can be lost in town. You can be lost in a crowd. You can be lost in a sea of people. You can be lost alone in your own thoughts. You can be lost in any of those capacities. Certainly, it is possible and most common to be lost physically. But you can be lost emotionally. You can be lost intellectually. You can be lost financially. And you can be lost spiritually. There's a lot of different ways 
to be lost. In fact, those last four that we just listed, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and even financially, those can be more overwhelming than being lost physically. Those four things can leave us spiraling out of control, completely unaware of our surroundings or how to make our way through them. So overwhelming that we have no idea what to do next. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Maybe that's the word that we need to look at in this case. Lost to the point of being overwhelmed. Do you know what that word means? If not, take a look. Here you go. To be overwhelmed means to cover over completely, to overcome by superior force or numbers, to overpower in thought or feeling. Now, that's coming at the definition from the standpoint of overwhelming someone else, but apply each one of those things to yourself, and it's too much. When you have been overwhelmed, overcome, you're left nearly paralyzed. That's why those last four things that we mentioned, to be lost emotionally, to be lost intellectually, to be lost financially or even spiritually, can be worse than ever getting lost physically. It can be a tough place to be. There's been a lot of research done on an idea that counselors are today referring to as the case of emotional overwhelm. An emotional overwhelm. The definition of it is quite intriguing. Emotional overwhelm is a state of being beset by intense emotion that is difficult to manage. It can affect your ability to think and act rationally. It could also prevent you from performing daily tasks. Emotional overwhelm may be caused by stress, traumatic life experiences, relationship issues, and much more. Emotional overwhelm occurs when the intensity of your feelings outmatches your ability to manage them. Look at that last statement. Emotional overwhelm occurs when the intensity of your feelings outmatches your ability to manage them. I would offer to you that when that happens, you are lost. You are lost. And a lot of folks have experienced emotional overwhelm. You know what it means to have the intensity of your feelings be so intense that that feeling outmatches your ability to to manage them, emotional overwhelm. There are some people in Scripture that have experienced that very thing, and in their state of lostness, they had no other hope than God, and God responded. I want us to open our Bibles now so that you can see it. We are going to make our way to the book of Acts, but on our way there, we're going to make a quick stop in 1 Peter. Join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Obviously, Peter is the author of these words, and that's very important to understand as we get into this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. The apostle writes, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I want you to listen to it again and listen very critically because this is written by a man who understands emotional overwhelm. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those 
who do evil. I love that Peter is the author of those words. I love that he's the one who wrote that down for us. Because if you are a student of his life at all, you know that there were moments for him where he was so overcome by intense feelings that he didn't have the ability to manage them. They outmatched, his feelings outmatched his ability to manage them. All you have to do is go back into the Gospels and you will see some of those situations as they occurred in his life. Some happened on the water. There was one particular time when he was with the other apostles out on the water and a storm rose up while Jesus was sleeping in the front of the boat and they found themselves in a state of lostness, not knowing what to do. Self-rescue was gone. All hope was gone. In their state of lostness, they could do nothing but cry out to God. But because they weren't managing their emotions well, they cried out in anger to Jesus. And even in those moments, Jesus got up and calmed the storm. There was another time on the water again where Peter found himself in the midst of a storm, but he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he said, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come. And he got out of the boat at Jesus' command, and he started walking towards Jesus. But that sense of emotional overwhelm came over him again. He lost the ability to manage his emotions, and he took his eyes off of the Lord, and he began to sink. And again, self-rescue wasn't on the table. Jesus had to grab hold of him and pull him back. And together they got into the boat. There's even the account when the Romans came to arrest Jesus that Peter, overcome by his emotions and unable to manage them, drew his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus. That's a big part of his life. It really is. And I say that with absolutely no judgment towards Peter because I have a propensity for the same exact thing. I can operate the same way. Things can get intense and I can lose the ability to manage my thoughts and my feelings. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And in those moments, in that state of emotional overwhelm, I need the Lord to respond. Well, There's a point in the book of Acts where it seems like Peter had matured to a place where he understood that. It's a beautiful story. It really is, particularly as we see Peter in it. Join me in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I want to stop there for just a second before we move on into the meat of Peter's story so that you can make sure and grab something that's very, very important in the midst of this. James was arrested before Peter was. This is James of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. We also know them as the sons of thunder, both of them were apostles. James was the first apostle to be martyred. 
He was the first one to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. Now, it is quite intriguing that the church did not replace James the way the apostles replaced Judas. And we have to ask the question, why? Why did they not do that? Because at the loss of Judas, the apostles said, we need to make sure that we bring this number back up to 12. So they went into the upper room and they cast lots. And by casting lots, the rolling of dice, if you will, they chose Matthias to be the one to take Judas's spot. But now at the death of James, the brother of John, no such thing happened. They didn't try to replace him. Why not? Well, the answer is quite simple. By this point, the gospel had moved on to the Gentiles. It was no longer about the Jews. It was now about the Gentiles. As long as the gospel was only being presented to the Jews, it was necessary for them to have 12 apostles to witness to the 12 tribes of Israel. But now the gospel has moved on to the Gentiles. So the church had no need to replace him. And after this point, with the death of each apostle, the exact same thing continued to happen. They just allowed those holes to exist. And they moved on, doing what the church was meant to do. The church took over the role of the apostles. And that's why when James died, they didn't have to replace him. But then Herod, because he saw how happy people were at the death of James, decided to keep on going. And Peter was the next one on his list. That's where we meet him. He is now locked up in prison, waiting to die. Listen to what happens. We'll back up to verse 5 and then move on. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on the very night, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now that is Peter's response to being lost. We're going to come back to it in just a second. But we're going to shift gears now and take a look at some other responses. This is the response of the church. Here we go. Verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Stop there in verse 12 and jump back to verse 5 because you need to link the two. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is the same group of people that had been praying for him for the better part of a week, most scholars would tell you. 
So as soon as he walked out of the prison, his first order of business was to go to that group of people. He wanted them to know how God had responded. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter when the day came. I'm sorry. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Two responses. And we're going to come back to the churches in just a second, but I want you to see Rhoda's. Rhoda responded in pure joy, the Bible says. She heard Peter's voice outside the gate, and she recognized that their prayers had been answered. She carried the report because she got so excited, she was now emotionally overwhelmed to the point that she couldn't remember to open the door. So she ran to tell the rest of the church what she had just experienced. Peter is here, and their response was quite telling. You're outside your mind. That has to be his angel. James has already died. There's no way that's Peter. There's no way. At that point, they were lost, completely lost. It would have been a good thing for them to have thought to themselves, stop, observe, think, plan. Would have been a great thing if they would have just stopped and dwelt on those four things because they'd already been praying. So those four things would have followed very easily if they had been able to get control of their emotions. But the intensity of the situation had so overwhelmed them that they couldn't manage their emotions. And so that's how they responded. That's how they responded. Interesting to see the different reactions in a situation like this and to wonder how it could be so varied from Peter's reaction to Rhoda's reaction to the reaction of the church. Well, sometimes it's a matter of experience and sometimes it's a matter of how we deal with being lost. For some people, it's an easy thing to work their way through. For other people, it almost seems like a dead end. But if we add that fifth element, prayer, even for those that see the situation as a dead end, it changes because Jesus rescues us. God comes after us. So let's get into a couple of the reactions to see how that works. In fact, that's how we'll wrap things up today. We're just going to look at these different reactions. Let's start with Peter's. Did you catch the fact that he was arrested after the death of James? He and James were not arrested at the same time. The information that James had died was not hidden from him. Peter was fully aware of it. The church was fully aware of it. But Peter had found himself now in a pretty familiar scenario. This is the third time he had been arrested. 
first time is found in Acts chapter 4. He was rescued by common sense, if you will. The rulers turned him loose with a stern warning, he and the other apostles, told them that they needed to stop preaching and gave them such a warning that most anybody would have listened to it and believed what they had to say. Do you know what Peter did? He went out and preached. That's what he did. Thanks for the warning. Appreciate what you had to say. I'm going to head back out into the town square. I got a few things to say. And he went back out and he preached. In Acts chapter 5, he found himself in prison again. This time, he was rescued not by common sense, but by an angel. He was rescued by the Lord. And after a, a period of preaching, as soon as he got out of prison, because the angel said to him, hey, once I get you out of here, I want you to go and instruct everybody in the way of the word. So you go and you preach. Peter went and he preached, and then he joined together with the church, and they had a great worship service. Now here we are in Acts chapter 12, and Peter's in prison again, locked up. But there's a detail in how he responded to that that is quite telling. He was asleep, soundly asleep. So asleep that the angel that came to rescue him had to knock him in the side to wake him up. He was chained between guards. The angel had to wake him up. This wasn't a light sleep. The angel had to jar him back into consciousness. How does that happen? How is it that Peter could be in prison and knowing that James had died, he was probably next, and then go to sleep? Well, maybe, just maybe, he understood some of the significance of an old African concept. Take a look. Popular expression in the African-American community is by and by. It refers to the need to be patient and persevering in prayer while waiting for God to answer. In other words, God will answer in his own time. It's for us to keep praying. This is prayer without ceasing. It does not give way to discouragement, but just keeps on praying. Maybe Peter understood that by now. He had matured to this point where he no longer suffered from emotional overwhelm and the sense of lostness that followed it. So he was just going to pray by and by. In the Lord's time, whatever happens, happens. It's okay. I've been in here for about a week, kind of tired, going to catch a nap. So he slept. Maybe he slept with the understanding of Scripture from places like this in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Maybe that's it. Maybe, just maybe, he was thinking of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he already had the experience of being rescued from prison by an angel, so all he was doing was praying an old prayer. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And if not, that's all right. I'll see you soon. James has already gone on ahead of me. I'll see you soon. Whatever the case was, he was at great peace when the angel came and woke him up. Now, that's the miracle as it begins to unfold in this story, the peace of Peter. But it is followed by the rescue of the angel or by the angel. 
And hopefully you were seeing some of the details that unfolded for us because there are many and they are significant when you are in a state of emotional overwhelm, when you are lost. I want you to see what happens here. This is like the Biblical Forest Service website telling us what to do when we are lost. Five tips from the angel. Here we are back in Acts chapter 12, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, here's tip number one, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, tip number two, dress yourself. And tip number three, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, tip number four, wrap your cloak around you. And tip number five, follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Five tips. And they are very, very important, even for us, when we are lost and overwhelmed. Did you catch that the angel took care of the chains, the angel took care of the guards, and the angel took care of the gates? The angel did not do for Peter what Peter could do for himself. He simply told him, get up, get dressed, put on your cloak, Put on your sandals, follow me. One of the mistakes that is made in the realm of the miraculous is believing that God will do everything for us. I want to remind you of something that was said when we started this series. A miracle happens when God breaks through the natural realm to do the supernatural that his glory will be revealed. God does not break through the natural realm to do for us what we can do for ourselves. He breaks through the natural barrier to do what we cannot do for ourselves. So even in those moments where you are lost in a state of emotional overwhelm, get up, put on your clothes, and get busy doing what needs to be done. Because if you're expecting that God is going to do that for you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You have to get up and do what fits within the natural realm so that you can see what God is doing in the supernatural. That's the difference. When we are overwhelmed, we can still expect that the miracle will come. When we don't see any other way out, we need to be praying that God intervenes, but you need to be busy doing what needs to be done so that you can follow when necessary. Does that make sense? But when the intensity of our emotions and our feelings so overtake us, Most of us get to a place that we can't manage what we're thinking and how we're feeling. So paralysis sets in, and we start making wrong decisions, just like we would if we were lost in the woods. We start going uphill when we should go downhill. We move when we should stay put. We stay put when we should move. We lose sight of everything because of the emotional 
overwhelm. So in the midst of this story, we get this great teaching. Get up, get dressed, put on your shoes, and get moving. Which, by the way, that's my favorite or my favorite of those five commands is put on your sandals. That's the favorite one that I think God gave to him because it required him to bend over. He had to be humble. And I think from that point forward, every time he put on his sandals, Peter remembered what the Lord had done. Which opens up another kind of interesting thing for us to think about in Peter's world. If you're still open to Acts chapter 12, join me in verse 17. I'm going to show you one of the most mysterious verses in all of Scripture. Here it is. We'll read the whole of the verse. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. If you're a highlighter, underliner, note taker in the margin of your Bible, this is a place to take a a note or write one in there, highlight this, because that statement, then he departed and went to another place, has caused all kinds of debates and discussions. Since that time, it has caused all kinds of debates and discussions. Because you see, with that one sentence, Peter seems to write off the pages of Scripture. He kind of disappears. He's been a major player in the book of Acts all the way up to chapter 12. And now with that one statement, he just seems to disappear. Become smoke as it it dissipates into the air. What happened to Peter? Where did he go? Well, here's what we know from Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it appears that he went to Corinth. He had to have been there. You can look it up if you want to. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And then you can even go to chapter 9, verse 5 of the same book, and you will find out that he more than likely went there with his wife. There is great implication that after Acts chapter 12, Peter went back home, got his wife, and said, Come on, baby, we're going to travel together for a while. They went to Corinth. That's just implication. He'll show up again in Acts chapter 15 for a brief moment at the Jerusalem Council where it appears that the church was so bothered by certain questions that they wanted all of the remaining apostles to gather together in Jerusalem. And so they did, and Peter speaks, but then he just disappears again. In Galatians chapter 2, there will be an argument and a discussion between he and the apostle Paul. But back in Acts chapter 12, it is as if Peter just disappears so that Paul can come on the scene and do what Paul's going to do. And what happened to Peter after that, no one knows. The speculation has run so crazy that people believe that he went to Rome where he planted the, the church in Rome and became the first pope. But know this, that is nothing but speculation. That is nothing but speculation. It has to be because the Bible doesn't tell us and extra biblical writings don't tell us where he was at. Just that he went to another place, kind of disappeared until he would die at the commands of Nero some 25 years after this. Where was Peter? He was trusting God. You can know that. He was putting on his sandals every day thinking, if I get in trouble, Lord will be here. Until he's not, and then I'll see him. But I will trust him all the way, all the way. That's where my faith will be. Back in Acts chapter 12, we find the church praying. And you saw what happened. We'd already walked through that. 
Five, six, seven days they'd been praying for Peter. And then God responded. But they were in such a point where they couldn't even see the response, most of them. They couldn't believe it because the intensity of their emotion had so outweighed the belief and the trust and the faith that they had that they couldn't manage their emotions in light of their faith. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Yet God was still God. And Peter still came in and told them everything that had happened. And the church was still strong. And the church grew exponentially as a result of that. And I believe they found themselves back at a place where they could pray prayers like this. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter had been released along with the other apostles from prison the first time, they prayed this. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They were praying Sovereign Lord prayers. And Sovereign Lord prayers remind us that it is the throne of heaven that is controlling everything not the throne of Herod. Sovereign Lord, you take care of this for us. Sovereign Lord prayers, recalibrate us. Sovereign Lord prayers, help us rely on our trust. They embolden our faith and they welcome miracles in. Sovereign Lord prayers, those are amazing prayers. A fellow named Thomas Watson made this statement years and years and years ago. I stumbled across it again this past week, and I've just been enthralled with it. I really have. Thomas Watson says, True, it was an angel that fetched Peter from prison, but it was the prayers that fetched the angel. That's good stuff. Sovereign Lord prayers matter. The church had been praying, and God responded, and Peter was rescued. And the church grew, and they all experienced the miracle of being rescued. The church, Peter, Rhoda, all of them were rescued in their state of lostness by God himself. The throne of heaven was controlling what was happening, not the throne of Herod. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, thanks for this story in Acts 12, because it's more than a story. It's a real account of the church given to us that we might learn from it, given to us that it might stretch us in our belief, in our faith, in our understanding, and in our prayers. Lord, somewhere in the midst of it, we could find ourselves, whether that is in Peter's account where peace has so settled on us that we sleep soundly, or whether that's in the account of Rhoda that we're just looking for the opportunity to be filled with satisfied joy from your response. Or even if we find ourselves in the church where we're beat down enough that we're not sure we can see it, we're somewhere in there. Father, help us get to a place of surrender where we can trust that you are sovereign 
And even when we are lost, you're coming for us. There's great peace just in that. So Lord, remind us of it often. In Jesus' name, amen.